One evening this past week, I settled into my couch to watch an episode of the Netflix series, The Crown. Unlike many people in the U.S., I'm not someone who follows the British royal family with great interest. I think the British royal family is all well and good for Great Britain, but the ups and downs of the house in Windsor don't fascinate me. Nevertheless, The Crown, for those of you who have not seen it, is exceptionally well done. Somehow the writers turn rather mundane occurrences of the royal family into great drama. They could turn Queen Elizabeth walking across the street into an exciting climax. (laughs) It's pretty impressive acting and screenwriting. Anyway, I was watching episode 7 of season 3, entitled Moondust. In one scene at the beginning, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip are walking into church on Sunday morning. Now, for those of you who've been to Windsor Castle... The church is supposed to be St. George's Chapel. Apparently, the royal family didn't want them filming at Windsor Castle itself, so the director instead uses this picturesque English countryside church as a convenient stand-in. As the church bells ring in the background, Prince Philip mutters, half to himself and half to his wife, the Queen, Why do we do this? He says in reference to going to church. Week in and week out. What does it do for you, honestly? Olivia Coleman, who superbly plays Queen Elizabeth, replies in a choppy, straightforward manner reminiscent of the British upper class, it's a chance to take stock, reflect on the past week, think ahead to the next. Tobias Menzies, who plays Philip with equal skill, mumbles under his breath, you use a diary for that. (laughs) Think of life's bigger questions, Elizabeth declares, except one doesn't. One thinks about what dreary nonsense the dean is talking about. The scene then cuts to the middle of the dean's sermon, which only serves to demonstrate Prince Philip's point. He leans over to his wife and whispers, not a sermon, but a general anesthetic. (laughs) Now, I hope you don't feel my sermons are a general anesthetic. (laughs) But the good news is that if you do, you can always listen to them on SoundCloud when you have a hard time sleeping. (laughs) The miracles of modern technology. Now, it was not lost on me today, Uh, Not lost on me that today is our annual meeting of the church. So church, church health, church attendance, and vitality have all been on my mind this past week. And this scene from The Crown uh, and the whole episode did get me thinking about church in the modern era. Prince Philip is a convenient stand-in for millions of people around the country who have given up on church. During the episode, Prince Philip makes a point of skipping out on Sunday services He focuses instead on worthwhile activities like fitness. He makes several speeches demeaning religion and lauding men of action like the American astronauts who go to the moon. Prince Philip's viewpoint is echoed by people all around the country. We've all heard it in one form or another. Church is a waste of time. Useless navel-gazing at best and and an an anti-intellectual attack on reason in the name of dogma at worst. What's the point of sitting around and praying when you could be out doing something or learning something of value? Why perpetuate old superstitions in the name of tradition and custom when we could be out charting new moral and intellectual territories on behalf of the human race? In all fairness, I don't think anyone is charting new intellectual territories around their kitchen table on Sunday morning, but such is how the argument goes. So how do you respond to that? As we collectively meet to discuss the life of the church, how is church relevant in our modern era? 
in a time when people are spiritual but not religious. Quite possibly my favorite response to this spiritual but not religious crowd comes from my fellow UCC minister, Lillian Daniel. In the face of the, so- of the rise of the so-called nuns, that is, those who have no religious affiliation, Daniel wrote a book entitled, When Spiritual But Not Religious Is Not Enough. <clears throat> she opens her book with a sermon that she later cut down and posted in a UCC daily devotional that went viral. She's a little cheeky, but her response is spot on. Daniel tells a story of her interaction with a man whom she sat next to on a plane flight. Once this man found out that Daniel was a minister, he launched into a long tale of his spiritual journey and why, after many years, he decided that church was a waste of time and he didn't need it anymore. I was not shocked or upset by this man's story, Daniel writes. Naturally, I've heard it a million times, so often that I almost thought I could improvise the plot line along with him. Let me guess, you read the New York Times every Sunday cover to cover and get more of it than the sermon. Let me guess, you exercise, and where do you find God? And where do you find God? Nature. And the trees. It's always the trees. During a long hike or a long run or a walk on the beach. And don't forget the sunset. These people always want to tell you that God, God is in the sunset. Like people who attend church wouldn't know that. Like, we are these monkish people who've never heard of all those Old Testament psalms that praise God and the beauty of natural creation. Like we, never leave, like, we never leave the church building. God and nature, really? It's all over the Bible that we hear every Sunday. Uh, but these folks seem to think that they've invented it. But push a little harder on this self-developed religion, and you don't get much. At least, much of depth. So you find God in the sunset. Great. So do I. But how about in the face of cancer? Cancer is nature too. Do you worship that as well? Suffering is seldom accounted for in these self-made spiritualities, other than as something we might overcome by hard work, exercise, reading the op-ed page. But worldwide disaster? How do you wrestle with that? Lillian Daniel then asks, Who are you, God of sunsets and rainbows and bunnies and chain emails about sweet friends? Who are you, cheap God of self-satisfaction and isolation? Who are you, God of the beautiful and the physically fit? Who are you, God of the spiritual but not religious? Who are you, God of the lucky, chief priests of the religion of gratitude? Who are you, and are you even worth knowing? Who are you, God, whom I I invent? Is there, could there be a more interesting God who invented me? She concludes... It finally hit me what was bothering me about this self-styled religion he had invented. He hadn't invented it at all. It was as boring and predictable as the rest of our self-centered consumer culture. And his very conceit that this outlook was somehow original, daring, or edgy was evidence of that very self-centeredness. If we made a church for all these spiritual but not religious people, if we got them all together to talk about their beliefs and their incredibly unique personal religions, they might find out that most of America already agrees with them. But they'll never find it out. Why? Because getting them all together would be way too much like church. And they are far too busy being original to discover that they're not. Ouch. (laughs) Lillian Daniel really does let that guy have it. (laughs) And I think, by and large, she's right. The religion of the spiritual but not religious does have, in my mind, a shallow spirituality and few answers for the suffering or ambiguities of life.
Then there are the others who don't attend church because they've been wounded by their experience. But for some reason, many of these folks don't search out one of the myriad of other expressions of the Christian faith in the country. I can't tell you how many times that I've, had described, that I've described the UCC and our beliefs to people only to meet their shocked faces that such a church exists. Yes, we do exist, as do many, many others that would fit your own spiritual journey where you are now. But you have to take the first step to go, to attend, to get involved in order to find out. And this is one advantage that we all have here. And it's something we should proudly talk about. We do know what church can be like. We have come to worship on Sunday morning and experience the transformative presence of the divine. I'm sure each of you could give powerful testimony of church services that moved you, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally. I certainly can. I'm a church junkie. I love worship. Even worship that might, that, that, even worship that might not be well executed, I still enjoy. I love belting out hymns, even though I miss an array of pitches. Somehow, somehow when we all sing together, those missed notes blend in with the music and don't seem all that discordant. I love preaching, both incredible preaching, which I've had the privilege to have heard a lot of, and also preaching that's only so-so, because even not-so-great preaching has a kernel, a message, that speaks to me when I need it. I would challenge any skeptic of Christianity to listen to a sermon of Otis Moss III at Trinity UCC in Chicago, our largest church in our denomination. That man can bring the word. I remember when we invited Otis Moss to Harvard for Martin Luther King Day service, I told one of the students in our fellowship group that no matter how busy he was, he had to go. And on Monday night, on a Monday night, this preppy white boy from New Canaan, Connecticut, stood among a sea of black students and came away in awe, like Moses returning from Mount Sinai. He didn't know a preacher could do things like that. I could list dozens of other preachers who can do the same thing. It's remarkable and a testimony to the enduring power of God and the church. But as we all know, being in church is about more than just worship. Look around. You come here every Sunday and see people you know. People you've worked with on boards and committees. People you've shared meals with. People you've laughed and cried with through life's ups and downs. Here you you get to ask the big questions about life and meaning and purpose. You get to learn about faith in an open-minded way. Think of all the fun debates you've had here about Jesus and theology. Then there's the work of justice. Here is a place where we get to advocate for those who are marginalized by society. We get to learn about issues that matter to our society and our lives. We are engaged. Sociologist Robert Putnam famously has linked social capital, that is, the social connections we have, to greater levels of happiness and fulfillment in life. All that happens here. It's remarkable, and it's something that those who are spiritual but not religious could learn so much from if they only gave it a chance. Go church. (laughs) Today we get to celebrate church. But if you're anything like me, when I sit with that for a bit, there is this other voice whispering in my ear. Church might be great, but it's not perfect. And it's certainly not easy. Those of us who have been involved in this or any other church for any significant period of time can also speak to the struggles of church. These are real. The draw to stay home on Sunday does not only come from those who are spiritual but not religious. The desire to stay home also affects those who love church but were burned or burned out. 
It breaks my heart to say it, but looking out on all of you, I can think of so many examples where church did not live up to what it could be. There is the church member who works faithfully to put on an event, (laughs) gathers volunteers together, and then hears criticism of the one thing that wasn't perfect. Those daggers dig deep and often cloud the whole effort. Or someone who tries to find others to help out on a project, only to be left doing it alone. People say thank you afterwards, but somehow still don't volunteer to clean up. Sound familiar? Or the person who agrees reluctantly to serve on a board, only to get ground down in long meetings that seem to go nowhere. Or the member who works hard and does her job well, only to be let down by other volunteers who don't take their commitments with the same level of seriousness. Or the member who feels sidelined or marginalized when her concerns or even her own existence is not valued in the way the existence of others is valued. Each of these examples is real. I could name names and give full stories, but then again, each of you could too. You all know it well. You also know the push that can happen when church doesn't feel like church, or at least when church, or at least what church should be and could be. There are those who stay home for good reason. Then as people stay home, time passes, new routines form, new relationships are made outside of church. You still miss church, you miss worship, you miss the good parts of church, but are those good parts enough to overcome the bad taste the church left in your mouth? What would you say to someone like that? This is indeed the big challenge that I see facing the church, both FCC and the church universal. I actually do feel that we have a great great case to be made for the importance and value of church, even or especially in our secular society. I do think the case made with those who are spiritual but not religious is a strong one and a compelling one. But the bigger question is how to make church be the church. How do we work to live into the ideal? And that's really what we need to figure out at the annual meeting. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a clergy conference in Florida. And one of the topics that we discussed was church governance. This is a meeting of the senior ministers of larger churches in the UCC. So most of the people there lead churches that are larger, and in some cases, much, much larger than FCC. The trend for those churches is to move to a far more centralized governance model. One far more centralized governance model than what we have here at FCC. In larger churches, people have come to realize that the typical congregational governance, like what we have here, just doesn't cut it. In place of the model that we have, these larger churches make the senior minister their CEO. She or he has the power to hire and fire all staff. The churches are run primarily not by volunteers, but by paid staff members. It's a model that we see in larger churches all around the Houston area as well. And the model is popular because it works. The advantage of a CEO, top-down, staff-run church is that the volunteer experience is so much easier. How do you help address volunteer burnout? One answer is is to have more staff support. Someone on staff helps plan an event. Someone on staff works with the board chair to run an efficient meeting. Someone on staff does the busy work. The volunteer's time is valued. Things are organized and planned in advance. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Sounds pretty nice. And it is something we could work towards. But I also have to admit that as I was listening to these ministers talk about governance and structure, I couldn't help but think that something gets lost in the ideal structure. Something important to the life of faith, the life we live, 
or try to live here at, UC, here at FCC. Isn't there something in the struggle of church that makes church worthwhile? Isn't there some value in having a small community of people struggle together to be the church? And if I know what that means to us in our context? Thinking through this drew me back to the great contemporary Christian writer and poet, Christian Wyman. Wyman's spiritual autobiography, My Bright Abyss, is full of profound meditations on the concept of faith in the 21st century. I find his writing an oasis of truth, something that brings me back to God. Wyman argues that perhaps we need the messiness of life and of other humans in order to find God. He writes, God is not absent. He is everywhere in the world. We are too dispirited to love. To feel him, to find him, does not usually require that we renounce all worldly possessions or enter a monastery or give our lives over to some social justice cause or create some sort of sacred art or begin spontaneously speaking in tongues. All too often, the task to which we are called is simply to show kindness to the irritating person in the cubicle next to us or, say, to the face of a spouse from whom we ourselves have been long absent, letting grace wake love from our intense, self-enclosed sleep. To be Christian, to understand the Christian life, we need other human beings, warts and all. We need to be involved with them on some deep level, and that deep level sometimes leads to hurts, as well as joys. That's Christianity, and one thing that separates Christianity from other faith traditions. Wyman writes, Modern spiritual consciousness is predicated on the fact that God is gone. And spiritual experience, for many of us, amounts mostly to an essential, deeply felt and necessary, but ultimately incohate and transitory feeling of oneness or unity with existence. It's mystical and valuable, but distant. Christ, though, is a hard shard of glass in your gut. Christ is God crying, I am here. And here, not only in what exalts and completes and uplifts you, but here in what appalls, offends, and degrades you. Here in what activates and exacerbates all that you, all that you would call not God. To walk through the fog of God toward the clarity of Christ is difficult because of how lovely, how unlovely, how ungodly that clarity often turns out to be. If nature abhors a vacuum, Christ abhors a vagueness. If God is love... Christ is love for this one person, this one place, this one time-bound and time-ravaged self. For Christian Wyman, it is in the struggle with humans, the struggle to be good, to be better, the struggle to live into the kingdom of God, where we find God most in our lives. I am here to say from my own experience, and I imagine in your experiences as well, that when you stick with church, when you stick with these other flawed people, When you can offer them grace, as they offer it to you, because Lord knows we all need it, then we we can become a community of people that is filled with the presence of God. If I'm honest, I don't want a perfect, pain-free experience of church. I want to experience God. I want to be transformed. And that, as Wyman says, includes the shards of glass that are an essential part of being human. And this is why I'm such a fanatic when it comes to congregational meetings. (laughs) In congregational meetings, we get to live out the messiness of our polity, which reflects the messiness of our lives. Church is not easy. But when we leave space for grace and the Holy Spirit, 
It's amazing what we can find. That should be our goal as a church, to be gracious to one another as we struggle, often badly, to live into the high calling that God has given to us. For me, there could be nothing more truly exciting or meaningful in life. I pity the people who are spiritual but not religious. Yes, they get to sleep in on Sundays. Yes, they get to avoid some of the long meetings of church or some of the frustrating situations we find ourselves in. But they also miss the extraordinary presence of God that comes with involvement, deep involvement, in a community of faith. There is an intensity to life in a church like FCC, an intensity that is lacking in a megachurch that has everything professionalized and scrubbed. Here, we get human beings with all the baggage that comes with that. But if we're Christian, if we believe in the incarnation, we believe that it is in those same human beings where we meet God, if we can only approach the world with grace. I've always loved Psalm 27. It's a plaintive psalm offered by someone who is struggling. But that struggling person finds the strength to go on because of life with God, and specifically the life of a faith community. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Here at FCC, we get to do just that. I hope you too are a church junkie who longs to hold the beauty of the Lord here in God's temple. I know I do. Here we get to be the church, both with its flaws and its transcendence. Here we get to have annual meetings. And here we find the grace we need to discover what it truly means to be human.